Well, well, don't y'all know? I'm here with Zach. He's over uh, there. We got uh, we got Patrick. Patrick's he's joining over us there. today. Oh yeah, what's up? Hey there, don't you know? Oh well, don't you fucking know? Well, we're uh, yeah, well uh, we're talking about the Coen Brother classic, cult classic, Fargo. Fargo. Fargo, released in 1996. It premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. Con. Con. Con's Con's Film Festival. Cannes. Wow. It was directed only by Joel Cohen. But but they they both write it. They both write it. Yeah. It stars um, Francis McDermott in a great role. McDormand. McDormand. William H. Macy, Steve Buscemi, Harv Pressnell. Hey there, Wade. Huh. And Peter Stormare, Stormare. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I, I honestly like I, I remember you know watching this back in high school, and I never really returned to it since. I mean, you haven't returned to this this one since. No, no, I not first a long saw it in high school too. But uh, you know, like I, when I first watched, I enjoyed it. You know, it's a gritty, like kind of like crime thriller, but it's also like set in a really goofy world. It's a black comedy. Yeah, and you know, I I I definitely enjoyed it, but like for some reason, like I always return to other Cohen Cohen Brothers movies more, like you know, uh, No Country for Old Men, or I mean, even A Serious Man. I love that one. You know. Um, what what else is there? There's uh, Burn After Reading, Burn Big After Lebowski. Reading, Big Lebowski, and you know I I would more return to those than this one for some reason. But I mean this is you know it's 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 a really good movie. You know there's there's uh, you know not much wrong with it to be honest. I this love this is maybe my fourth or fifth viewing of this movie. I've seen this movie a, ha- a handful of I've times. I've seen it a couple. Uh, it's only my second. Only your second yeah, time seeing yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, and you know I um. I really just I like it, it. It's a fun movie to watch. Yeah, I just I love the juxtaposition. <laughs> it's an enjoyable yeah, watch. It, it really is. And it's short and sweet and the characters in it are fucking like it's it's like really gritty brutal murder <laughs> set against like the people with the dumbest accents in all of America. Minnesotans. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, it, t- yeah. it actually stretches across Two states. Oh, the Twin Cities. Minneapolis. Minnesota and then North Dakota because Fargo. Oh, hell. Weirdly enough, Fargo is like, despite it being the title name of the movie, is only only, uh, one or two scenes take place in Fargo, and that's the opening scene um, when he meets with the hitman. So, for a little bit of context, William H. Macy plays Jerry, who is a little bit of a bumbling goof spineless weakling and he meets with two hitmen one of them played by Steve Buscemi and I believe a funny the other looking one fella. is uh, a funny looking fella Peter <laughs> Stormer and uh, the when they meet in the in the bar in the beginning uh, that's in Fargo and I think for the majority of the time they're outside of Fargo yeah um, Brainerd so <laughs> Steve uh, sorry William H. Macy Jerry's character hires the two hitmen to um Kidnap his wife in order to extort money from his wealthy father in law. Who father in law, yeah, who owns an investment firm, I believe. It was some type of investment firm of some kind. In order to it's not ex- weirdly enough, it's not quite explicitly stated what he needs the money for. It was alluded that he needed like he had well, made fraudulent yeah, car deals. But but the the deal, the loan on that was half of what he was trying to get for that parking lot. He was trying to get $750,000 for that parking yeah. lot. A few numbers are quoted because first he goes with 80k as the ransom money for getting the wife back and mm-hmm. and splits it with those guys so he would only get 40k. No, 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 no. No, because he was always going to ask his his father-in-law for a million dollars. So he was already screwing them He only told them them 80K. Yeah, but he Mm. was going to take $920,000. And that's why towards the end, Steve Buscemi sees how much money's in there, and he goes and buries it, returns to his buddy to tell him, here's your cut, 40K, and I'm taking the car, where he would probably return to dig up the rest of the... uh, 
million, basically nine hundred and twenty thousand yeah. dollars. And then he was still jipping him. Yeah. The fucking when he wanted to split well, the car. Steve, Steve Buscemi, if you don't, I mean, he has that famous scene in Glorious, uh, not Glorious Bastards, uh, Reservoir <laughs> Do- Reservoir Dogs, where he talks about the whole concept of tipping. So you know, maybe it's hmm. he's just a, he plays a, a, a very cheap character. Yeah. Um, but you know, like. I think one of the coolest things about this movie is that it it really shines a light on this this dissatis this dissatisfied with life feeling. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This guy he feels like um William H. Macy's character Jerry. Jerry feels like, you know, he's done everything right, you know, he married somebody, um who had a you know mm-hmm. a well-off father had he thought kid. that he would be marrying into money you know the the wife is an employee you know, he's is employed an em- by his father-in-law True. too his yeah. father-in-law owns a car dealership right oh i didn't yeah. pick up and on she's that. and yeah. she's an unfortunate looking lady so you know I mean, not like uh, unfortunate looking. She was just a she was panicked, a handsome lady, panicked looking woman. <laughs> yeah, she was fine though. She was about as attractive as Frances McDormand. But it goes to this overall just a plain white lady. <laughs> it goes it goes to this overall feeling of feeling like even it feels like your life is out of your own hands. You know, like that's the feeling I I get a lot. And this was. Jerry's one chance to finally do something that would be a you know something good for him, something that you know he could start a, his own business. Good for him, but clearly not good for his wife because she has to get kidnapped. Of course, because but of it. he this is this is him exercising control for the first time in his life. That's what I what I get from well, this. And he definitely like strikes me as a very like weak willed spineless yeah. type character. Oh you yes, know? dear. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know I. I think that this movie, it, in a weird way, we were kind of bringing it up before we were talking about this, but we mentioned Falling Down, but it's like a, it's almost a very similar way, except the guy in Falling Down, actually, he actually caused a lot of damage. William H. Macy kind of just like sets a series of events uh that just go and like you know fall like dominoes and they just it's a comedy of errors which is yeah. like I said a very common Coen Brothers trope yes and you know uh, just like how like you said the the best laid plans will go awry yeah you know? that's what I see this movie as is it's an example of that expression the best laid plans often go awry because and I don't even think these were good no. laid plans. Either. No. <laughs> yeah. no. Um, most of the time, you see it occur time and time again, where they have a plan and everything goes wrong. Murphy's Law style. You know, they have a plan to kidnap his wife. They go in there. His wife puts up a fight. She's running around. She gets caught up in the shower curtain, falls down the stairs. Right. You know, or when the cop comes to them... Um, and, uh, I mean, and, Peter Stormare straight up turns to camera like he's like on a sitcom being like, can you believe this? She <laughs> fell down the stairs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, go on. Well, sorry. when the part when the, the state troopers, when, when Buscemi and his cohort have her in the back of the car and the state trooper pulls him over, he's like, don't worry, I got this. I got a plan. I, I can handle this. And he hands him his wallet with the money flashing like he's trying to bribe him. And he's like, mm, no, why don't you get out of the yeah. car, you know? I want to take and care then, of it right here in Brainerd. Yeah, yeah I'll <laughs> take care of it. The, the tags are, or he has the wrong, he has the dealer tags on. He needs right. to put the mm-hmm. temporary tags on. DLR. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's about... Um, Getting in over your head, I think that is, is another important thing to bring up because, like, with the fraud, the you know al- alleged to fraud that he's committing at the dealership, you know all this other stuff. I feel like he's tried. He's strung a lot of plans together, a lot of schemes yeah. together that are just not working out. Right. And like, but everybody's plan is not working out. But you know, this, but even this. when he tried to do it the right way, he got edged out, and you know. It's almost like he, because he's a failure, he's not like a strong man, you know, he tries to do it right the one time he brings it to, oh, what's the guy, Stan Grossman, mm-hmm. his, his, his uh, yeah. uh, 
the the number two. To yeah, the, the number two to his uh, father-in-law, mm-hmm. and you know he brings it to him, and the father-in-law basically you get the idea that he doesn't really know what he's talking about as far as business go and the guy's stand gro- he, the guy's the father's just like you know bravado mm. right he's there's not you know a wealth of information there the, like that's why the guy thinks that he can go and strong arm Steve Buscemi uh with a gun you know when he's doing the hot the bag exchange mm-hmm. and uh he gets one shot off. But the funny thing is about that moment is that, like, as soon as, like, Stan Grossman, even when he agrees with Jerry, he'll be like, oh, well, Stan agrees now, so then I'll, uh, I I agree with you now. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, it's so, dem- like, you get this feeling that William H. Macy's character is just so dejected that no one takes him seriously as a joke. And, you know... So wait, what is who? What is Stan Grossman, the advisor to um, Jerry's father-in-law, Wade? Who, who is Stan? Gro- what is he supposed to represent? Like, what le- is who is he supposed to be? Like legitimacy, like you mm-hmm. know, like being validated, almost like you know, being validated in the world. Being he seems like there's this economically this viable. This film is filled. With incompetence, yeah, you know, like most of the characters are incompetent. I mm. think Stan Grossman represents like the little light of competence <laughs> that everybody kind of looks to. The bit, like, what does he think? What is he doing? Yeah, you know, he, like, yeah. or um, or for example, Frances McDermott's character. I think she's a good example of that competence because she plays the cop investigating all of this, and she's more in tune and more aware of what's going on than what's any other character despite her being in the dark of what the actual actions were and who was involved she seems more competent than the majority of the characters same thing with stan grossman yeah it's like incompetence versus the cop you know i mean stan grossman kind of seems like the most competent, incompetent man. Like, I mean, even his name, Stan Grossman. Stan Grossman. Is not like a name of someone who's like, I don't know, a huge success. He's yeah. even the number two well, to the I, I think that's a, I think that's a he, similar name to Tom Cruise's character in uh, Tropic Thunder, Les Grossman. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so, uh, alright, Patrick, why don't you start us off? What, what's the scene you like in this movie? Oh man, I like the scene where they're driving in the car, and oh, uh, where it's the two, uh, the two uh, hitman. Yeah, and he's talking about how quiet the other guy is, and he's like, "I'll be here in complete silence." Yeah, we'll do complete silence, and then he starts looking around, and he's like, "See how you like it? Complete <laughs> silence." Okay, well, I think that. Um this character, I believe the Carl is Steve Buscemi and Gare is the other guy and of the uh, two hitmen. So Gare's character is the is you'll see this type of character in other Coen brother films in particular the one I think of is Anton Chigurh. Yeah. No Country for Old Men. Which one the stoic kind of weirdo. They, there is a prevailing character and in a serious man, there's a weird version of this character, and that's the big fat kid that's in the guys in the kids' class. But anyways, yes. um, there is like this weird um, trope of a character the Coen brothers use, which is like this silent, biting, um, but like menacing uh, person. Usually, it's man a male character who is like kind of a purveyor of death and is very quiet most of the time, but is also like probably the most dangerous and most deadly character. Many people speculate that this is like how the Coen brothers represent death or like a Grim Reaper type Mm. character, like like kind of a very silent uh, killer, you know, biding their time, menacing presence and, but very silent at the same time. And I always thought that was an interesting, I guess, portrayal yeah. Of, um, you know, a character that's supposed to represent the Grim Reaper, essentially. And definitely, like, in this movie, like, Anton Chigurh in No Country for All Men does most of the killings. Gare, the hitman, kills the most people in this mm-hmm. film, too, Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So, like, arguably, like, he's that version of... He's the Anton Chigurh of uh, Fargo, Yeah. I think. No, I'd agree. I'd agree with that. Like, I like 
the choice of like that like kind of bad guy character where he's just like stoic and menacing and it like almost like you're like oh this person's a fucking psycho <laughs> yeah i mean you, I, you see what he does to i think that like for that scene at least like um you know it is funny how like Carl C. Buscemi makes light of it. You know, he's like, oh, so we're not going to talk. We're just going to sit here in silence. Silence. I can do that. You know, and he just keeps going on silence. <laughs> silence is what you want. Silence is what you get, huh? And he's like quiet for a few seconds. He's like, ah, so nothing but silence. Just absolute yeah. quiet. And the guy's just sitting there, like, you know, not responding really to it. Right. You know, <laughs> you mm. know, is he, like, it's unknown if he's doing that on purpose. Like, if he's like, you know, doing that on purpose, like, being like, oh, yeah, I can be quiet, I can be quiet, it keeps going on, you know, on purpose in order to try and, you know, provoke some reaction from him, or if that's just him naturally being goofy about it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> or if it's him just, like, kind of standing off against the guy, you know, like, mm-hmm. holding the power kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that perhaps that guy remaining quiet is him, like, commanding the, uh, the dynamic yeah. between the two, and that's Carl's way of, uh, trying to reestablish dominance mm-hmm. between the two of them. Yeah. You know, I uh I think the the scene with uh William H Macy where it's right in the beginning and the customer's really angry at him, right? Because he added on the the true coat. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is basically just some um, it's like an added charge that basically just goes to the salesman. It's like an upsell, right? Yeah. You know, you go to the shoe store and then they always try to fucking sell you the goddamn shoe cleaner. It's like, you know, it's just extra profit and you probably, there's probably, you know, it's whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But the guy comes in and he's like, you didn't, you, you're a liar. You didn't do this. And it's like what he says to Jerry, the customer. Right, right, right. What the customer says to Jerry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, he basically gives up his tickets to like that hockey hockey game, mm-hmm. so that the manager would cut some some money off of the price because of the the true code thing. Um, and that customer calls him out. Yeah, I mean, you're you're a bastard. <laughs> yeah, and he and he calls him a liar, and he is. I mean, he lies to to everyone. Yeah, I mean, pretty much, you know. But you know, I I always just find like the 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 character like dejected by the world he lives in as a very interesting like character trope, you know. Um, I because I feel like there's a lot there's a lot of people you know in the world like that who feel like kind of just you know like a loser. <laughs> mm. Hmm. <coughs> yeah. So I mean. I I enjoy this movie a lot. Uh, there's there's more like I like. Uh... Okay, so I want to uh, hold on real quick. I want to return to your point of because I have to disagree. I don't I don't think that he feels dejected as much. I don't think it's maybe you can you can glean that and and assume that. I don't think he necessarily is himself feeling like oh dejected himself. I think that he is more of a case of a bumbling bumbling weakling almost that not necessarily that he's dejected but that he's trying to get ahead because he feels like he deserves more right or is just trying to cheat the system in some way not i don't think that because when you say dejected it makes them feel more sympathetic all right well, well ma- is a sympathetic maybe character. maybe i guess the the way i put it is that you know, Jerry keeps on trying to gain control, but he keeps on getting these like reality checks. Like, you're, you know, you'll just he's a bumbling fool. Yeah, yeah, he is a loser, but he definitely doesn't think of himself mm-hmm. as a loser. But he gets the reality checks, and then he just goes along with it. You know, what I mean, he gets checked <laughs> on his, you know, yeah. his bravado. You know, and he ends up just being a paper tiger, really. Yeah, he's very submissive. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, even when, like, you know, the officers are arresting him in the end, you know, he, like, fights. He's like, all right, I'll go quietly. All right. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He's yelling. He doesn't say, I'll go quietly. Oh, he's I thought like he did. Because he's getting arrested. Yeah, he's he is kicking. Yeah, yeah, kicking and screaming. Tried to climb out the bathroom window. Yeah. So, I don't know. What you got, Zach? 
Um, in terms of scenes, here's a scene that I want to talk about. It's a weird one, and it feels almost out of place in the movie. Because um, I want to talk more about Frances McDermott's character, because I think she really carries yeah. more so than Jerry does. Like, I think she's the star of the show. So, there's one scene that I think is there to, like, build on her character and give more exposition to her character. And that's when she receives a phone call in the middle of the night from some random guy being like, yeah, I saw you on TV. Like, I remember you from school. Like, it's been a while. And then it's, like, just an awkward call. But then she goes and meets up with him in Minneapolis, and it's this weirdo guy who's like, yeah, like, how you doing? That's great to hear. And then he's like, so, uh, tell me, uh... You know, about yourself, about your marriage, and then he, like, gets up from the seat, you know, to walk around and try and sit <laughs> yeah, next yeah. to him. She's like, yeah. uh, no, why don't you, uh, <laughs> yeah. why don't you sit over there? He's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. And then, and then he goes on to, like, give her, you know, some story about being married and his wife dying, I think, of cancer, is, I think, yeah. or whatever. And, uh, and then, you know, but he's, like, clearly trying to get at her. He's clearly trying to rope her into yeah. some something romantic. He's trying to slide into her DMs. Yeah, and yeah. she's, like, not having it. She's married, and she has a good marriage, too, which, you know... Yeah. Obviously, you know, you compare that to Jerry's marriage with his wife. You know, he set up his wife to get kidnapped. You know, you don't have, if Like I said while watching, <laughs> you don't have a good marriage and call in hitmen to uh, stage a kidnapping if you're having a good Maybe it's marriage, elaborate role-play. You know, and... But, <laughs> maybe he's but, trying to liven up their sex lives. But Marge has a good... Marge has a good relationship with her husband and, and, and you know, clearly is not interested in this guy. And, you know, even at the end, he breaks it down there. He's like, oh, I'm so lonely. <laughs> you know, it's one of those moments, the I'm so lonely crying moment. After he gets That's not going to help. After his creepy moves get <laughs> yeah. rebuffed, you know, mm-hmm. then it's finally like breaking oh, I'm so lonely, you know, but I know, Patrick, you're showing me your notes, you know, about how you thought that, you know, her relationship with her husband is interesting. Oh, you know, yeah. Norm. Norm's my favorite character. In yeah, Norm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, especially when you when you think of uh, you know breaking the stereotype is like uh, she's kind of the hero of the of the film, you know, and and it's kind of uh, it and juxt- if you and if you just go based on her accent, you know, it, it, I'm maybe it's just you know my my coastal elitism, but you know, <laughs> fucking. You know, just hearing that accent, it's not imposing. It's kind of like you, you, when you hear the accent, you hear it as like, it's almost like unimposing, very polite and, you know, not, but she, just to add to how great she is in that role is that she is imposing while coming off as very polite and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, she's like very pushy, you know, but like in a very, you know, I don't know, in that like Great Lakes accent and kind of mannerisms of yeah. just being like, oh well, yeah. <laughs> the way she ropes Shep into a corner when she goes yeah. in there. Yeah, you 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 said he was the fucking he was like one of the heart the you know toughest looking guys in the movie, and mm-hmm. she gets him to fold like a fucking you know. For yeah. For a bit of context, Shep uh, Proudfoot is the character who arranges originally the deal between Jerry and the hitman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, yeah, she's she's honestly she's yeah she's definitely the standout performance in this movie. I mean, I mean, you know, all the characters we mentioned before are you know pretty good. You know, William H Macy's doing great. Uh, Peter Stormare as the as the heavy, he's awesome. Uh, Steve Buscemi as the funny looking guy, he's great. Yeah. It's, it's, it, but she is definitely like the corner piece of this movie. Her performance. Yeah, Jerry. Jerry is kind of an anti-hero, too. Because I mean, thinking about who the protagonist is, I mean, I do think that that it does revolve around Jerry. I mean, he sets the story in motion by arranging this hit. I mean, that's it's the only reason we see the events of these films is is because of what he does. But he's not exactly a likable character. You, I mean, you don't. Yeah totally root for him well he's a push he's a pushover from the beginning you're kind of like dude who fucking sets up their wife in this way yeah it's like a loser from the get-go right Mm -hmm. well it starts off by showing you that he is setting up his wife to be kidnapped and then proceeds to show you that 
he's just a fucking pushover in his everyday life. You yeah, know? he's a and, snake. Yeah. Yeah. A weasel. A weasel. Yeah, he's not looking. a snake. Snakes are cunning <laughs> and smart. <laughs> fucking, he's a weasel. <laughs> fucking, yeah. And he's looking for it anywhere he can get it, too. Yeah, and... Oh, hold on a minute. Draw the comparison between um, Norm, Marge's husband... And, and Jerry. And, yeah, because both of them are both kind of like... Almost simpletons. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But like Norm is just happy being yeah, where he's because he's got he's a down. When the night crawl, mm-hmm. when he get when he gets a bag of night crawlers to go ice fishing mm-hmm. up north, well, you know. And then and at the end of the movie, I like this scene too. I like this as a good cap off for the movie and to cap off like Marge's story, where mm-hmm. you know he's there and he's like, oh. You know, my, my painting of the mallard, uh, it's only being sold on a stand for three cents. And my buddy, you know, his painting, his bird went for, you know, 27 cents, 29 cents, whatever it was. And, you know, she kind of gives him a little bit of reassurance. And she's like, well, you know, prices of postage change all the time. And sometimes people need those three cents to make up that difference. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're right, dear. I love you, dear. You know, yeah. like, and it kind of like ends on that. You know, and, like, that's almost, I feel like, a good uh, comparison of that guy kind right. of just being, like, this kind of just, like, simple, whatever, he's, you know, he's trying his best. He's she builds him back up. She you know, builds yeah. him up. Then, she's a down-ass yeah. chick, dude. Hell she's yeah. a down-ass exactly. chick. And she... Yeah. You know, compare that to Jerry, where, you know, obviously he's lacking something in his life. He's kind of constantly failing and struggling for more. He Tying it back. that reassurance. He can't mm-hmm. just relax and go Tying, out fishing and paint pictures. Tying it back to... Yeah. Pa- Tying it back to Patrick, when he mentions about uh, Jerry's wife, when her father's coming, you know, she's all nervous chopping the vegetables, mm-hmm. and she just kind of seems like a nervous wreck and mm-hmm. trying to desperately, you know, be, you know, mm-hmm. good in her father's eyes or yeah. whatever. And, you know, like, it's it's almost like you, you see why he ended up the way he was. Not blaming her. I'm yeah. just saying that, like... The stage was set for him to do this, you know. the The father, you know, like even down to the point, the father doesn't even let him do the bag drop, right? Because like you know, this is all his little plan, and he, you know, all he had to do was do the bag drop, and his father. What was that? Oh, sorry, I just whistled. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I thought you. I thought you were trying to get my attention. No, 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 no. But you know, like at every moment, the. You know, he just has no he's no fucking confidence whatsoever. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and and you know what? But with that, um, oh man, what's his name? Your favorite character? Norm. 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 Yeah, and you know what? Norm. Uh, what a perfect name for him too. But you know, hey there, Normie. Like Jerry's wife, never. You never really see her pressuring him to be more than he is. It very much comes from his obsession to i don't know like make a big score or something he clearly has delusions of grandeur right that he's just been you know vying for and failing it's what capitalism does to people yeah (laughs) yeah i mean zach and i were talking about uh death of a salesman the other night and you see a similar product in jerry is this guy who you know uh, you know, is obsessed with success to the point where he's trying to get the better end of every every deal he strikes. You yeah. know, he's trying to get the better end of the people he has coming into work when he's like promising them one thing and then they come in and he's a liar and and then also even with the uh, with the kidnapping, you know, he's trying to get a million dollars from his father in law, but he's only paying the hitman eighty grand. Yeah. Which is a huge come up. And then even the parking lot, when he talks to Shep about it, the parking lot only cost uh, 300 and, and it was like... It was about 300 k Yeah. And, and then he's asking for 750000 Yeah. He's just never satisfied. He's trying to take advantage of everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like mm-hmm. trying to get them. Yeah. Trying to squeeze out every last... Mm-hmm. He's like a grifter yeah. who doesn't have the skills to grift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, it, and yeah, you know, when you think about it, he's a con man himself. Yeah. Oh yeah. But he's a lazy con man because he wouldn't even do the the deed himself. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, no, he wasn't allowed to. He wanted to, but the yeah. but the but her her father Wade wouldn't allow it. He's too 
don't know if that's laziness. It's 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 the weakness that yeah. he is. He's, he doesn't fight back you know, whatsoever. You the question has to be asked if if he was a stronger willed character, if he had more conviction, would these plans, the, his schemes, be more more successful? Like why do his plans fall apart why do his schemes his his dealings because he just bumble it up desperate you just bumble it up and people can smell it on him i think i think that like even in the in the movie all the characters can smell it on him like how weak and inept and just bumbling he is you know yeah and you know uh one thing i kind of i kind of find interesting too is you know i as being a fan of, you know, last podcast on the left, when you hear like the stories, you know, Zach, I know you're a big fan of them, but when you hear the stories of like, you know, the murders that are done in these like small towns and like how like the cops, some of the cops like completely fumble and bumble the case because especially in the early days when these serial killers would show up, you know, they weren't, you know, a lot of these towns were just like, you know, small towns where not a lot of crime happened in, right? And that's like the vibe you get from this movie. But, you know, and all the cops around Francis McDormand are, they're just bumble butts too, you know? Mm. They're just like, oh, no, no, no. And she's running the fucking show. She's, she's the like, most competent yeah. Movie next to mm. uh, Garrett, the, the other hitman. Right. Even, even that cop who uh, does the police work and says, Oh, you know, he hadn't finished writing down the license plate of that Toyota Sierra. And she's immediately like, I don't agree with your uh, police work there, eh? You know, I think DLR, it's a drive, you know, a realtor. uh, Dealer's license. Dealer's license. Realtor's license. All right. A little too close to home there. Cut. All right, so, um, so there's wait, there's one other for aspect it. of this movie I want to discuss. Go for and it. That is the character of um, not a human character, but the character of the of the environment, the winter. Yeah. Because yes. I feel like you know you've been doing the accent. You're you know the you watch this movie and you become oh. a little bit fixated on the accents. Right. But I feel like the setting, both in combination of the northwestern states, you know be it North Dakota and, and Minnesota in combination with the winter is a force and an important, you know, setting of itself that I feel like lends a lot to, like this movie wouldn't be what it is without this. That, yeah. yeah I, setting. I 100% agree. 100%. Mm-hmm. You so know, I just kind of want to, op- you know, have, open up a little bit of a discussion about that because I think the winter, um, if you want to think about some, if you think about the idea of like the Murphy's Law of this movie and the best laid plans go awry and stuff, like how much does the world itself, you know, fuck up and muddle up the plans that that are are formed? Like how you know well, how much is winter and the snow and the ice itself an obstacle to overcome? Well, you know what I think it is is like is just when my first impression of just seeing like you know these you know just snow covered areas is just bleak that's Mm -hmm. that's the feeling you get it's just bleakness Mm -hmm. and kind of just like a hopelessness and there's just kind of like uh you know maybe you can kind of say that that's like you know that's like life to them is like life is kind of just bleak out there not bleak but you know just kind of you're lit yeah you're living in this fucking area where it's I don't know. It's it's just covered in snow, right? You know, every there's nothing nothing really stands out when everything is covered in snow. It all just looks like one same area, yeah, you know. You know, just blank whiteness and there's something about that where I think that kind of like speaks to like a lot of the characters, you know, where they're at in the movie like a lot of the people committing crimes they're kind of you know they're stuck in this fog they're stuck in this snowstorm this haze Mm -hmm. and france mcdormand's the only one trying to get through it she's the one you know as as tough as it is she's the one navigating through the unforgiving landscape and a lot of the other characters just kind of get stuck in it Mm. you know like even when Steve Buscemi, the whole, like, let's keep it in Brainerd scene, you know, he kills the cop, 
then some people drive by, and then the guy, what, what was the guy's name? Peter Stormare's character? Um, Gare. Gare. He goes down and then chases them down and then, you know, finishes them off. You know, it that just, it kind of just shows that, I don't know, it's, there's just like, there's, there's something about the environment that's just, it, it, it just screams just bleak, empty, nothingness. I don't know. You know, I I agree with that. And I also think it's a place that's kind of devoid of opportunity. Mm, yeah, that's um, a good that's a good that's definitely a good point. But it's interesting because when when Frances McDormand is taking Gare back, she says all these people died, you know, like um Mrs. Uh, Lundeberg and um and those three people all died just for a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. And she said there's more to life than just a little bit of money. Yeah. And that and she even in this bleak place devoid of opportunity found a way to be happy, to marry a man that she loves and to live a life that she's proud of. Yeah. You know, like she didn't need you know, a fancy house or a, a lot of money or, you know. She sought her own self-validation. You know yeah. what I mean? No one, it, like, everyone j- just took her as an authority source, not just because she was a cop, but because mm-hmm. of her her drive to sort through this, you know, bleak environment. You know? Yeah. What about you, Zach? Well... I don't disagree. Um, I had a little bit of a different reading. Of, All right, go for it. it. Um, in that I feel like the winter represents forces that are out of your own control. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the more the way I was I was viewing the snow in the winter. It, in that, like, and, and that's what I think a lot of this, you know, is what this movie's about. Like, um, if you look at it from Jerry's perspective, like he stay he can orchestrates his kidnapping. But how it goes down is out of his control. He's not there when the two men arrive to kidnap his his wife. And, and it's a mess there at his house. It's out of his control. It's not the, um, the how the state trooper pulls over Gare and Carl. That's something that's out of their control, even though he could have put those tags on. You know, there's ways you can fight back, you know. What I think is funny is the costuming of this movie. Everybody's wearing like huge coats. Yeah, that's <laughs> huge. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, and so and um, or how like you know he wants to you know he's like I got to deal with these guys. I got to deal with them. But like even the deal, doing the deal is out of his control. Like Wade shuts him down, you know, and and he's like no, I'm gonna take care of it. Or you know, and and how you know all his plans are. Everything seems to be out of his control, no matter like what he does and it's like you're kind of fighting almost the rising tide a little bit His own, like the winter yeah. to me and 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 the weather represents like this omniscient force that's like out of your control that's constantly there badgering you hold hindering you holding you down and like what you can only really like just deal with it like layer up you know and like kind of just live in it rather than like fight it you know and like in the one scene when he goes out there after Wade tells him, "Oh, we're just gonna give you a finder's fee," and he goes out there and he has to scrape his car. And he oh yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking you know, of. Oh yeah, like that's him kind of just succumbing to the everything that is out of his control, kind of just keeping him down. Compared to Francis McDormand, who kind of uh, Marge, who kind of you know just you know layers up and and weathers it and kind of yeah, you know, she pregnant and ne- necess- <laughs> she doesn't ever really necessarily you know acknowledge the weather it's almost like her she lives in it and it, she doesn't you know, complain in her she doesn't she doesn't she doesn't she doesn't complain once in this movie honestly mm-hmm. she's just like she's determined and yeah you know in a way if you're going based and off she is pregnant we forgot to mention that she's mm-hmm. seven months pregnant yeah you know, and and, and then yeah. he says two more months and Norm goes yeah through, and he's like two more months and, you know, it's kind of just like how you choose to deal with those circumstances based on the off of that reading. You could be someone like a Jerry who, you know, just kind of goes like, oh, well, you know, it's out of my hands. What am I going to do? Oh, gosh. You know, or you could be like Francis McDorn and like you said, who weathers it and just kind of trucks on through and, and deals with it. Yeah, I can I can see that. You know, I just 
there's it's just more like the forces of the world murphy's law yeah you know things will always go wrong it's not like necessarily the plans you make just more how you respond to it yeah you know? well you know but I, I don't you think like you know like a snow blind just like just complete utter just the color palette of this movie is white yeah that's for sure <laughs> yeah and you know it's just <clears throat> it's just so just you get this feeling of just like remote desolate like nothingness like almost like they're in like kind of like a limbo like that's yeah. like what the, the snow kind of reminds me of like, I thought that like added no go on no go I thought on. that added to the believability of the whole place the right. remoteness of the setting <clears throat> right is like you know I don't know in a big city you know exactly there would be a town tearing apart people looking for a Sierra yeah. with the DLR plates you know yeah. so it also adds to kind of the the narrative that you buy into you know everything that's that's going on but civilization is an arm's reach because Minneapolis is right nearby mhm mhm yeah, and you know, I just uh, I don't know. This movie's fucking good. <laughs> so I did. Oh, you know, oh, oh yeah, no, no, go, go, go. You know, I was just thinking about this. I wanted to bring this up because I know this is a movie you also enjoyed because we watched it not too long ago. But the the this movie, I I feel a strong connection to like before the devil knows you're dead. You know that movie? Mm. Like you know, like yeah. it's it's a yeah. very similar plot to where. There's a, a get-rich-quick opportunity that just goes completely wrong. And also by sca- by scamming family. Yeah. And not just scamming them in a, hey, like, why don't you give me money for this, like, violently. Yeah. Scamming yeah. family members, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, in that movie, the, 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 the guy trying to, you know, rip off his family ends up yeah, fucking killing his parents. mom. Yeah, kill, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. It's a good movie. I recommend it. If you like this one, you would definitely like that one. But I don't know. I, I just, I just watching it, just watching it, like, I just, I got that watching it throughout where, you know, it's very similar to that movie, but it's almost like kind of, it's a completely like different take on, you know. It, the the motivations behind why the characters do what they do in that movie is more clearly defined than in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it they is I'm not saying that they don't define intention in this movie. I'm just saying as compared to that one, they describe it a little bit more because you know they never outright say that he's you know until later on in the movie that you know he's committing fraud at work and you know all this stuff you know it it slowly alludes to that hmm. so how about the title fargo. fargo well i mean you know we've talked Far about gone. it far gone yeah what what does that bring to mind for you i mean i far gone. far gone and and who's far gone and I mean, is it just the... Everyone, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I think that's... I, I don't know. I think that's... I think... It, Fargo, I think, is an interesting tale because, like I said at the beginning, they only... Fargo's a town. Sure, sure. But it's it's got to be more once. than that, too. Yeah. I I think that it's just supposed to be, like, almost a death... I, I, I've, I've thought about that, too. Like, why did they decide to take this one random town? The town's famous now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to bring up how there's a TV show now about Fargo. Fargo yeah. TV show. Mm-hmm. There's something about the setting of it. I like it's the desolateness of it. Right. A call out to some random bumfuck town in the middle of the snowy <coughs> northern north northern america's close to canada in the middle of nowhere that just somehow sets the stage for like <coughs> these like very daunting menacing like murder stories yeah. you know so like really brutal I, I think that fargo just sets a good tone for, yeah. for what the movie is like a far flung you know far-flung location that nobody knows that like you know something weird went down but it but it makes you think too because i mean when they were writing the movie it's like do you choose the location first and then write a story for that or did they have this story and then you know 
find a place where it would make sense. Um, and I guess my thought with the with the Fargo, what I landed on, was it's like, how far will you go? <laughs> you know, like, would you... I mean, he's he's an older gentleman. His kid is not that young. You know, his kid's probably early teens. Yeah. You know, junior high, if not early high school. And, um... And he's still got nothing. Jerry's son's got Yeah, yeah. And he's... I mean, Jerry's deeply in debt. You know, he's, by all definitions... I don't know. Not all definitions. He's got a family. He's not an abusive yeah. parent from what I can see. But, but, um... It's like, how far will you go to be a success? Will you, you know, hire hitmen to <clears throat> kidnap your wife? Potentially ruin, like, everything that you do have. Everything you that you have built. You know, yeah. and how far will the hitmen go to be rich? How far will Steve Buscemi go to, you know, be rich? You know, will yeah. will you start murdering people and kidnapping people just to, like, have your shot at, I don't know, you know, like a luxurious life. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah. You want to, you want to, do you, do you got anything else or you want to move on to final thoughts? Um... I guess I can say whatever else I have in my final thoughts. Yeah, okay, alright. Um, Patrick, since you're the guest, why don't you go first? Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, it's okay, it's okay. It's, it's yeah, alright. Yeah, yeah. Alright, I'll go first because I was already thinking about it. Um, so, what I think about makes this movie great is the setting, the mood, the atmosphere, the general dreariness, bleakness, and like bumblingness of it all comes together in like a very interesting manner, you know. I this like you know, in talking about the location of the setting of this film, I really don't think this this would be a lot different of a movie if it just took place in like, you know, a Los Angeles type setting or wherever. Like the setting makes a difference. Like the the icy small town adds this menacing dark feel to the movie that, you know, there's something about winter that's much darker when it comes to storytelling that adds a dark. Yeah, dude, it's fucking metal, dude. Yeah. That's how, that's story. why all those Norwegians are fucking nuts and they do. <laughs> so, that, the, so, something about the winter landscape adds a darkness and any, and a, and a f- menacingness that is, that takes it from, being like, okay, yeah, some goofy shit happened, and it's, you know, whatever, another, you know, whodunit murder story or whatever, but, like, you know, the setting of it makes everything seem so much more ominous. And so, and the fact that it happens in this weird small town that, you know, is, you know, only really mentioned once, and then it takes place between, what's, what's the name of the town? We forgot to mention also Paul Bunyan is is like a yeah. weird motif, oh. yeah, a weird motif. Brainerd. Brainerd, yeah. yeah. Brainerd, like Paul Bunyan, yeah. this becomes yeah. like a weird motif yeah. with his axe and his blue ox, you know. And then Gare kills Steve Buscemi yeah, with, with an, an axe too. Yeah, with an axe and stay at the blue ox in. Uh, mm-hmm. Paul Bunyan supposedly had that blue ox or whatever, you know. So it has this weird like frontiersman um, sense about it. Which is it? It's it's both interesting. It's engaging. It's an engaging um, setting and an, and an engaging place to be in, despite it being full of just snow and not much else. Yeah, you know, it still makes it an engaging and a, and a dark setting to be in, which it, it it somehow adds a whole layer of darkness onto the murders. I I like the the sense of humor behind this whole movie too. Like I said earlier, it's a dark comedy. Like there is a weird like you're you can't help but laugh at a lot of this, you know, as we were watching this, you know, it was you do kinda of chuckle at a lot of things and laugh about it, even though it's all murder and death most of the movie. <laughs> you know, and in between the, the two guys, Carl and Gear being in hookers and and uh, Jerry like bumbling around at his bad job as a car salesman being a, slimy, a typical bumble butt a slimy car salesman but hey know? he's the executive sales officer okay it's, mean... it's, it's like a lot of other Coen brother films where they take this dreary bleak a, mund- a mundane yeah, kind of like area like, like a 
nondescript location and a not so noteworthy character and right. somehow blend that with setting and a weird and a good sense of of humor in it all and like somehow that all comes together to tell like this story that like really you feel it m- like very much so in the mood that you're left when you watch this like Big Lebowski is the same way or A Serious Man is the same way you like watch the movie and you leave it like kind of feeling this mood which I think is very impressive and it's like definitely when we return to other Coen Brothers films is something we'll have to discuss in the future the mood that their that their films <coughs> convey and leave you feeling you yeah. know and how they mix mundanity with darkness and humor to like kind of land on something brilliant most of the time right. in, in their films and um you know the fact that they that they were able to take this movie and um you know um the first season of Fargo later seasons aren't as good but the season one of Fargo yeah with Billy Bob and yeah Billy Bob and Martin Freeman and yeah and they take basically Fargo and retell it in a different way and I don't know if you've you've seen it right you guys Mm -hmm. I've seen at least the first first and second season the second um, season wasn't bad too the series is essentially the movie told told in TV form different characters different stories yeah a little a little different yeah similar characters for sure you can go back and watch that show and like it'll leave you with the same feeling that this movie does uh-huh. you know which I just think is impressive and it's hard to put in words exactly like you know what <clears throat> what that's supposed to be and like where that comes from you know so what do you give it um <clears throat> what do I give it um hmm. I'm gonna leave this one with I'm between a 7 and an 8 so I'm gonna go with like a 7.5 <clears throat> I, I don't know if I'd want to give it a full 8 but it's a little better than a 7 I would yeah I would leave it with something like a seven point five. It's a very enjoyable watch, fun. Um, you know if you got friends over whatever, you know it's 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 a it's a camp. It's a hitter with I think a lot of people. Like I don't think, <laughs> I, I, I don't think, think you hard, could hate this you'd, movie. You'd be hard pressed to put this movie yeah. on. You know especially watching it in a, in a group setting. You know just and not laugh. Commanding yeah. in, in it's in in it is with your intent with your attention and your mood. I think is is very cool, and uh, the actor the acting is great. The actors are all great across the board, and the story and the story's funny and weird and you know also creepy. And the end scene too with uh, Gare shoving Carl Steve yeah. Buscemi into the wood chipper is like just the icing on the top of yeah. all this that kind yeah. of leaves you with this like oh my god <laughs> like, which is pretty cool so I would leave I would say with this movie alright 7.5 yeah. that's good Patrick <laughs> all right so um so yeah I, th- I think the movie is uh is definitely character driven you know the characters really sell the movie and they draw you in and they get you interested in it the world building is incredible i mean with all the different details um man you know i i tend to be pretty kind in my ratings um i was thinking and so on our scale sorry just real quick yeah oh sorry on our scale five is average yeah we try, we're average. trying to yeah, we're, yes, yes. yeah we're trying to put it like because yeah. a lot of times we feel like anytime you drop below a seven people will take that and be like, <laughs> oh it's a bad movie then so we're trying to be a little bit more a little bit more uh, forgiving yeah, forgiving it's and the Fantano scale so what's a, a five a five would what's be a like, classic five you know like five? or just like you know like oh that's a five mm. I don't know I can't think of anything yeah, off the top of my um, head <laughs> Um, if you like something enough where you would recommend it to somebody in a daily discussion, I would give it at least a six or a seven. Uh, if it was uh-huh. something you watched and you're like that was cool, but whatever, like that would be like five, four, five. Yeah, like I didn't hate it, but it didn't leave an impact on. I'm me. really so loving the breaking down of this scale. Was... I really love this. I really, <laughs> we're gonna, I'm gonna keep this all in. Yeah, <laughs> it's something that you was profound to you and like really was thought provoking and really eight or nine that's a movie yeah then bring Uh, it eight nine and ten's like a masterpiece ten is yeah that's that's your citizen Kane. yeah um i mean i was gonna go with an 
8.5, which is it's not too far, but, but with yeah, that, no. with that all in mind, you know, like on that scale, I don't, I don't know if I'd give it an 8.5, so I'll go with an 8. All right, pretty good. Um, <clears throat> any, you want to elaborate, or is there anything else did you, do you, I mean, Patrick took notes during this movie, is there yeah. anything you missed from there that you want to bring up, or? Any any final thoughts that I mean I you missed out on or anything that during the our conversation that you thought of that didn't get to be brought up? I mean, in general, I like any story that uh that goes against classic character tropes. So for me, yeah, McDermott's. Uh, I liked your notes about Norm about him being the doting husband. Yeah, I mean, you know, because I mean, immediately when you see these these crime movies you expect it to be some tough gruff masculine you know like character who's doing the whole thing but yeah she was a female cop she was pregnant she was gentle she was kind you know she but she, but was, she was diligent also, like, very commanding of situations mm-hmm. too she was diligent intelligent she was ruthless you know i mean uh, any lead she had she followed through to the end and yeah she has this doting husband who's constantly hanging off of her you know bringing her lunch at every turn and um she's what a cop should be yeah (laughs) still a cab but still yeah and um and yeah even even brings down Shep Proudfoot I do agree with that and I do like that how she's kind of like just this normal woman but is also like very uh much in charge of every situation. Hell yeah, dude. She's a she's hashtag girl boss. All right. You got already on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. We're just running a little long. That's oh, all. sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 about all all I got to say on it. I think I've said all I all okay. I wanted to say. Yeah, well done, Patrick. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> so condescending. <laughs> Good job, little fella. Thank Good job, you. buddy. Thank you. Um. So, all right. So, just to wrap it all up, I love one of the things I was thinking about is I love the way this movie does exposition, right? Because there's not a whole lot, right? It gives you like, all right. You know, Jerry has been kind of doing this fraudulent kind of dealio. He's, you know, it, it slowly introduces you to the character's, you know, philosophy and how he's gotten through life. And there's something about, you know, movies nowadays where they choose to like do two, they just do like a giant exposition dump they right in the beginning. They spell it all out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They do like a giant exposition dump in the beginning so that you know you you understand everything. But in this movie it's like we're giving you a little bit here, a little bit there, and then we're just we're just we're going to throw a bunch of shit at you and we're going to let this story unfold and let the story tell you about the characters, right? Rather than it does that make sense at all absolutely and you know uh i just i love i love the setting and yeah you know like you said zach the thing is is that there there's been crime movies done about you know big city scenarios you know like la, LA sf a classic setting, LA noir. yeah is this a horror film sorry i know it's a random question is this, would you consider this a I, I would say i'd say it has i would not i would not no because you know actually film. i i don't think it's a noir film i think it goes against that because noir i mean is french for black mm-hmm. and it is bleak and it is like you said, a black comedy and it has dark aspects to it. I still don't think it's a noir because it's not like, cause a noir has a, a very central character. Right. And this, as much as we've been saying, Francis McDormand's character is Marge is the, uh, the protagonist, the main character. The thing is, is that there every, it's like, it's an ensemble piece. Mm. You know, it's all these pieces coming together. You know, the bumblebutt. Uh, I'd say it's noir adjacent. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not. I I'm could not, see it having noir elements. Yeah, for sure. But um, you know, we've seen crime movies done in big cities and stuff like that. So to see something in a small town, it just shows you that you know, evil lurks even in the most 
unassuming of places. Sorry, very random. I'm pretty sure there's a well-known podcast because, you know, true crime podcast, very popular. I think there's a well-known one called Small Town Murder. Yeah. I don't know. I think there is. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, you're but, right about but, that. You know, but there's, there's something, you know, to the layman that it, it's unassuming and, you know, you wouldn't expect it to, you know, possibly be, you know, a dangerous place. I mean, if you think about it, you know, the people that died who were driving by and they witnessed the cop getting killed, they were just just some, you know, random teenagers, you know, kind of kind of looking and, you know, like you wouldn't expect them to be at danger in somewhere in the you know middle of nowhere, some podunk town. But that's what the Coens do so well with is they make the environment almost a character of itself you know and yeah. i just i i love this movie it it has legitimate laugh out loud moments which is hard to do in a dark movie you know that it, where it's not corny it's like legitimately like you know like the ongoing joke of keep on referring to Steve Buscemi as a funny looking fella I'm sorry that was that was hilarious and then they'd ask him to elaborate on that and they'd, you, know, you know just in the general sense he's funny looking <laughs> yeah. even more than the average guy yeah and <laughs> you know I just I love I just love the the I love the world that this movie takes place in and I love the characters that take place because you know it, it's a comedy of errors it's you know like you said Murphy's Law anything that will go wrong can go wrong will and I don't know I just I think the pacing of this movie is really well done it doesn't linger with one character too much it, it, it switches per, you know perspective multiple times you know to where it's it's just like alright what am I watching now you know and yeah, this movie, I, I, I do think it's a really good Coen Brothers movie, but I wouldn't say it's my favorite. But I do think it's really good. I'd probably get because uh, the only reason why I say that is because I think they do like the menacing and you know kind of they do the dark the darkness way better in other movies later in their in their. Uh, filmography so that's why I, it's kind of hard not to include that in you know you because you could say there's funny moments in No Country for Old Men you know kind of like you, where, but it's it's almost where that movie is so tense that the humor in that movie really sticks out because it like cuts through mm-hmm. um, but yeah no Coen Brothers man they they kill it they kill it in damn near most movies they do a bit of a of a easier watch maybe yeah yeah for sure and it's not you know it's it's not like some crazy plot you have to follow it's pretty easy to follow mm-hmm. but you really get to just soak it's in a long movie like, yeah no country film man i feel like runs close to three hours where this one's like an hour yeah i was surprised <laughs> with yeah and yeah. you know but the and but the way they do the storytelling you feel like you've watched like the kind of a uh, midwestern epic you know <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so I'd probably give this movie. I think I'm right with Patrick. I want to give it an eight. I think uh, it does a, a lot of things right. And Frances McDormand, she's awesome in this movie. And so is a lot of the other characters. I don't know why, just but she just she sticks out. And yeah, I uh, we love Frances McDormand. We uh, she's from the Bay Area. Hell yeah! Yeah, shout out to the Coen Brothers too for writing such a strong female yeah, character. that's not corny. That's yeah. not corny. It's natural. It's not Before forced. it was trendy. <laughs> before, yeah. Before, before it was trendy. trendy. Unfortunately, guys, it doesn't meet the qualifications of the Bechtel <laughs> test. <so. laughs> <laughs> On that note, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you for joining us, Patrick. We'd love to have you. Oh, yeah. Well, thank yeah, you. Anytime you're in the area, come back. Well, I am. I've been honored to be here, and you've been a lovely audience. Yeah. Thank you. Thank no no no. Thank you. You're the lovely one. Oh. Yeah, you're lovely. <laughs> and handsome. Wow. All right. We'll catch you next time. Peace. All right. Peace out. Oh yeah. Or if you want to buy a house in Colorado.